Well, in case I haven't gotten to meet you yet, and I know there are a lot of new faces for me out there at least, uh, my name is Kermit Summerall, and uh, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I am one of the small group's pastors here at The Crossing, and uh, so for nine years, uh, before I was a small group pastor, I was one of the pastors of Veritas. So I got to help start Veritas in the fall of 2006, which was one of the, just the coolest adventures I've ever been on, is that whole starting and and that nine years was awesome, and uh, I've always loved hanging out with college students. College students or college ministry uh, meant a lot in my life. God changed my life a lot in college, especially through my Bible study leaders, small group leaders, uh, people like that. And I love speaking with you because college is a time of transition. It's a time where you are making choices that are going to affect the rest of your life. It's a time where you're making friendships, some of the deepest friendships of your life that are deeply going to shape who you're going to become. It's a time where you are forming habits. You're deciding the things that are going to be the most important in your loves and the affections of your heart. It's going to shape the rest of your life. And so I love getting to talk to you. So thanks for having me. Uh, I have a wife. Her name is Nicole. She's actually from Columbia originally. And I have three kids, uh, Anna, Hudson, and Will, who are kind of middle school, elementary school age-ish. Actually, I'm about to have a high schooler. My oldest daughter's about to go to Rockbridge, so that's crazy. I can't believe that. But anyway, that's, that's weird and exciting all at the same time. Um, I have a question for you just to, to get us started tonight. How far would you go to fit in? How much would you conform to the friends, the people, the culture around you to fit in? I mean, most of us want to fit in, right? None of us wants to be the weirdo, the odd person out. None of us likes rejection. None of us likes disapproval, right? Especially me. Uh, I am uh, a confessed uh, people pleaser, approval suck up kind of person. I've always struggled with that. Uh, I don't like uh, disapproval or rejection, so that's always been a thing for me. Well, I grew up in the 80s, though. So that means I did a lot of weird stuff to fit in growing up in the 80s. Uh, how many of you watch Stranger Things? So if you watch Stranger Things, you've seen actually a lot of those things because it, that show has brought those things back to our attention. But I didn't do all these things myself, but here's some of the things I really felt like I had to do, and some of them I definitely did or wore in the 80s. So one of them was, these were called fat shoelaces. And when I was in middle school, you had to have these fat shoelaces, and if you were really cool, you threaded them through suede pumas, like the next slide, and they look something like that. And that's what everybody who was cool wore to school in like fifth, sixth grade. Uh, another thing, flip to the next one. The other thing is uh, jams. Man, I love jams. I had to have these, these bright shorts, and it had to have the word jams right there on the butt, or you were not cool. Um, next is, have you guys ever seen these before? Coca-Cola rugby shirts? Raise if you've even seen one of these. Okay, this was like a deal. Like you had to have a Coca-Cola shirt. When I was in sixth grade, you had to have that. And there were different colors, but they all had Coca-Cola on it like that. And then you had to have not just one, but many swatches. Uh, and so, <laughs> that's not me. Uh, it looks like me. But um, I was a tennis player, actually, in middle school. I liked tennis. And uh, this is one of the greats of that era. And so here he is advertising with, you know, five swatches on each, on each arm. Uh, another one was, and this is cool, because Steve from Stranger Things has brought this back, is the famed members-only jacket. I mean, this is one you had to have, and yes, I did have it. 
Matter of fact, I had one just like Steve's, dark gray, pretty cool, um, and, and had to have that to fit in. Another thing, tight rolled jeans, that's actually coming back, right? So some of the 80s stuff is, is recycling. Um, also, when I was in middle school, I had a perm, and so I looked like Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains to be cool. Actually, I wore almost that like, same outfit on the right to my sixth grade dance <laughs> in, in, in middle school. Actually, I'm actually not that cool. Um, I had a perm, but it wasn't to be cool. It was because my dad made me. <laughs> I'm the third, and so my dad had this weird thing. Like, sometimes he would just say, all right, son, come on. We're going to go do something together and match together, have the same shirt. So one day he was like, hey, we're going to go out and get a perm together. So I actually did that, and I had a perm for a couple years. I didn't give you that picture because I, I was afraid you wouldn't get it out of your memory. It would have burned itself into your memory. I didn't want to distract you for the rest of the night. Um, but looking back now, I mean... Those things seem pretty ridiculous, right? They're pretty harmless, but I felt like I had to do them. They felt really important at the time. And I'm guessing you have a lot of things like that in your life too. Um, I think we easily forget the power of social pressure to conform. So let's watch this video about that power. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff, will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat... <laughs> ...tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, He looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more <laughs> to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... We'll see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. Right. So. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's so true. That power, that pressure is really a powerful thing. I mean, you know, which direction we face in an elevator or maybe what styles we wore of clothing growing up isn't that big of a deal, right? That's pretty harmless. But what about things that aren't so harmless? What about choices? 
What if we know that something isn't right? What if we know that something isn't consistent with following Christ? Will we do that anyway to fit in? The reality is, yes, of course, we all have, and we, and we will. It's something we all struggle with. Uh, let's get a little bit more specific, though. What are some ways that aren't so harmless, some ways that we really do struggle with conformity? And one, I think, is just intellectually, right? None of us wants to have backwards ideas, unprogressive thoughts, right? And so we struggle to want to be open about our faith, right? We, we struggle with, I don't want to be known as the Christian in class because then I'm going to get, you know, the backlash from the professor. Or especially, gosh, you know, I, don't want, I may not want to say, or it's hard to say that the Bible's true, or especially thinking about, like, the sexual ethic of the Bible, to say that's right and that's good for everyone, man, that's hard, you know? Maybe I want to, want to fit in. How about socially? We want our lifestyle to fit neatly in with others, right? So we want to look the same. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a certain brand of clothes or nice clothes. Nothing wrong with that per se. But what if you have to have those things even though you can't afford it? What if you want to go to all the same parties that others do even if you know it's going to put you in a really bad spot temptation-wise? You know if you go with those people to that place, there's a high chance that you're going to fall into temptation. Or a lot of times it's just that we don't want to be the only one not drinking. Let's say you're underage, but you don't want to be the only one not drinking. Or let's say you are 21, you don't want to be the only one only having one or two drinks, right? Or maybe it's just that you're afraid that if you were the only one who didn't look at porn or the only one who wasn't having sex or active with your boyfriend or girlfriend, that then your friends are going to think you're weird, you know, you're probably judgmental, you're prude, whatever it is, right? So socially, we want to fit in, we struggle. How about our ambitions? So we want to live for the same things that other people do. We tend to. We want to fit in in that way, right? And so, we, so having great experiences is really important to us. I mean, FOMO is a very real thing, fear of missing out. We don't want to miss out. We, we want to fit in by living for the same ambitions in terms of success or building the resume that, that other people do, having the best financial future. And, and there's nothing wrong with any one of those things in and of themselves, but it's just that if we live for those things, then those things can be spiritually suffocating to us. So in talking about conformity, let's ask this question, what is the conformity that we are talking about? Well, we're talking about the kind that's dangerous for our souls and dangerous for your mission together as the body of Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking so much about styles of clothing, things like that. There are good ways to fit into a culture, and in a sense, we need to fit into our culture in order to be relatable, right? So we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is any way that we fit in at the expense of following Christ. We're talking about any way that we lose our Christian distinctiveness in the name of fitting in. Any way that we stop being faithful to God because we're fearful of people. That's the conformity we're talking about tonight. And fear really gets at the reason why, doesn't it? I mean, that's the reason we want to fit in so badly. It's because we're afraid of that disapproval. We're afraid of that rejection. So here's the question. is How can we become the kind of people who aren't controlled by that fear, which always leads us to conformity, but instead 
would be the kind of people that could live differently, that could live distinctly Christ-like lives. What gives us the strength to do that? So last week, Colleen talked, and if you were here, she talked about comparison. It was a really good talk. I, I podcasted it. And she talked about how Peter was an example of someone who got caught in comparison with, with John. It's a great, great talk. Um, well, here again tonight, Peter is a source of hope for us. Now, when you think of Peter, I'm guessing you tend to think, hey, Peter, like the, the leader of the apostles, right? The first pope, even, that sort of thing. So he must be, he's really strong, he's courageous, he's a great Christian, that sort of thing, right? But here's the deal, is that the Bible says that in really key moments in the story of the Bible and in the spread of the church, Peter actually conformed to what other people wanted him to do just to fit in and cause a lot of damage to the early church. And, and so, obviously, many of you probably know the story. The famous one, of course, is that, that Peter denied Christ three times. When, when Jesus was being uh, questioned by the Jewish leaders, Peter was out in a, in a huddle around a fire, and a little girl just started looking at him and said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 it wasn't me. And another guy, another guy, he denies Jesus three times just to save his own skin. But I, I want, for tonight, I kind of want to throw that one out, though, right? Because his, his life could have been in danger. If they had known, okay, this was a follower of Jesus, they could have, they could have killed him. They could have imprisoned him or something like that. Okay, so let's throw that out. So instead, I want to use a different story about Peter that I think is a lot more similar to the situations that we find ourselves in. It's maybe a new story for you. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. And let me set up the situation for you. So the situation is this, is that as the church was spreading, it spread to what would be present-day Turkey, and there was a city called Galatia. And so these, it was a non-Jewish city, and so these non-Jewish people were becoming Christians, okay? And so Peter and Paul both went to visit them to strengthen the church. And what happened was, while, well, at first, when Peter was there, he was hanging out with these, non, even though he was a Jew, he was hanging out with all these non-Jewish people, you know, just like they were brothers and sisters with him, no difference, hanging out with them, accepting them, all that. Then, all of a sudden, this group came up from Jerusalem and basically came up to kind of check on what, what's going on up here in this church. I don't, I've heard that they're not, they're not following our rules up here. So they come up, they're Jews, and when they come up, all of a sudden Peter changes his attitude. All of a sudden he stops hanging out with the non-Jews. Okay, and so here's Paul's recounting of the story. Here's what happens. Uh, Galatians 2. When Cephas, and Cephas is just another word for Peter, so. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul said, because he stood condemned. In other words, he was in the wrong. For before certain men came from James, these are the men that came up from Jerusalem, from James, uh, he used to eat with the Gentiles. In other words, he used to eat with the non-Jewish people. But when they arrived, this group of people, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, okay, this Jewish group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, even another church leader, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in light in line with the truth of the gospel, Paul says, Paul said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so Paul says, we are uh, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, 
but by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so he clarifies the gospel after rebuking Paul. So, hmm, let's think about this for a second. So Peter stopped hanging out with certain people because he thought by doing that, other people might like him more. I know none of us have ever done anything like that, right? Peter started changing the way he acted to getting good with other people. So, and this is a big deal. Paul rebuked him publicly. Why was it such a big deal? Because by Peter's actions, basically what he was saying to these new Christians were, you're not actually Christians. You're not accepted yet. You have to go and obey these Jewish laws, like if you're a man, get circumcised, or you can't eat pork, or obey the Sabbath, these things first, and then we'll think about you becoming a Christian, okay? So what was at stake was the gospel itself. The very message of the gospel was at stake in this moment, and Peter whiffed. Peter conformed to people around him. He was afraid of what people would think of him. So this is really good news for us. Because if you're a person like me who struggles with conformity, that's great news, right? Because Peter also struggled with conformity. You're in good company. And we know that Peter changed. Peter changed over his walk with Christ. Christ changed him so much that by the end of his life, Peter, church history tells us that Peter was, would rather be crucified upside down than conform to fit in. So, what happened to Peter? So, how do we get that kind of change in our life? That's what I want to ask tonight. And here's the great news, is that God loves to take fearful conformers and turn them into faithful Christ followers. God loves to do that. He's in the business of doing that. He did it with Peter, and he can do it in our lives too. So what we're going to do tonight is focus on three truths that turn fearful conformers into faithful Christ followers. And the first one is this, is that, and they're all about conformity. First is that conformity deforms you. Conformity deforms you. So let me explain what I mean. So according to the Bible, we are always being conformed to something. The question is just what? What am I being conformed to at this moment? And is that truly the thing I really want to be conformed to? Romans 12.2 says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, so get what, it, what Paul's saying there. He's saying either... We're being conformed to the world, or we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Either conformed to the world, or conformed to Christ. One or the other. And he's saying there's not any in between. We're always being one of the two things. So, in other words, and when he says conformed to the world, that means it's, it's values, it's ways, it's will for our life. Or Christ's values, ways, wills for our life. And there's nothing in between. So, Here's a really important point I want you to catch tonight. Is that when we conform to the world, when we conform to fit into the world, we always become deformed. We always become lesser, smaller than we really are. Less than God really made us to be. Um, I want to introduce you to, to um, our dog, Bella the Bulldog. Um, we have an English Bulldog. There she is. So this is Bella's Instagram account. Yes, she has an Instagram account. 
and I think she has almost 300 followers, which is probably a lot more than I have. Um, actually, some Veritas interns started Bella's account when we were uh, on Project Japan one summer, and they kept our dog and lived in our house. And so Bella's had this account ever since then, and um, flip to the next one. So this is a, so a, a close-up of Bella. We love our English Bulldog. She's awesome. Um, so because we have that dog, um, my son has his Bella the Bulldog. So this is Bella the, the stuffed Bulldog, and uh, my son loves this. And um, so if you look at this, look at this Bulldog. It has all the attributes of a Bulldog. You could tell, right? If I just showed that to you, would you be able to tell it's a Bulldog? You would, right? So, but you know what? What if I were to take, what if I were to take this tube and I were to stuff this bulldog into this tube? By the way, I'm not usually a prop guy, but I don't know. just had this idea. I thought I'd try it. So what if I were to stuff this bulldog into this tube like that? If you walked into a room, would you think, ah, oh, bulldog. I, I thought maybe if I looked at it from across the room, I'd think it was like a mixed coffee drink or something. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. So, when I think, what are some words that describe what's happening to that bulldog right now? Some words that come into my mind are like stifled, confined, smaller, right? That's what's happening to that bulldog because it is being conformed into this shape of this vase, right? This tube. Um, it's not who he's supposed to be, right? You can't even recognize him anymore. So imagine that's you. Imagine this is a person being conformed to the image of the world. You're being, what's happening to you? You're being shrunk down. You're being made smaller, suffocated, even enslaved, right? That's what the Bible is trying to get us to see, that when we are conformed, we are always lesser, deformed, as a matter of fact. And you probably know, you probably know people, friends, even, that you've seen that in their life, right? People that it just, something started off in their life, it's just, I just wanted to fit in, you know? And all of a sudden, they're a different person. I mean, maybe it was, you know, I'm just going to have a drink or two or a joint or two, and now they can't go a day without having many drinks or joints, Right? Maybe it was a person who just said, well, yeah, you know, I'll just, yeah, we'll have sex. And, and, and now they're locked into a relationship that's really destructive in their life. Um, maybe it's a person who just really wanted to be skinny and tried throwing up. And now their, their life is wrecked by an di- eating disorder. And it all started because they just wanted to conform. They just wanted to fit in. Here's the question. Is that really what you want to conform to? Is the world and its values what you truly want to shape you? I don't think so. If you're a Christian tonight, that's not your heart of hearts. You want something more. You want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because here's the reality. Conformity to the world shrinks you, but conformity to Christ enlarges you. Think about that. Whereas that bulldog was shrunk down, your life would be shrunk down. Christ is bigger than you, right? Christ has more love than you, more patience than you, more joy than you, everything more than you. And so when you're conformed to the image of Christ, you're not shrunk down. You're enlarged. Your life is larger because of that. Conformity to the world suffocates you, but conformity to Christ breathes life into you. 
Conformity to the world enslaves you, but conformity to Christ frees you because you're not enslaved to sin. So that's number one. Conformity deforms you. Number two, conformity damages your mission together. It damages your mission together. You guys already read this tonight. Let's read it again. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. He says about you, and, and, and listen carefully to what he says. It doesn't say, be the salt of the earth. It says, you are. As a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's our mission? Well, according to this passage, it's to be salt, to be light. In other words, to make a difference in the world, to shine light into the world, to, to bring God's kingdom and its goodness and light into all areas of life and into the people's lives around you. That's our mission, right? But Jesus says, wait a second, though. You are salt, but if you aren't salty, then what good are you doing? You are light, but if you hide that, what good is it? See, if we want to make a difference, we have to be different. If we aren't different, we can't make a difference. I know that's simple, but it's pretty profound. If we're not different than the world around us, we will not make a difference. And Jesus says you were meant for more because you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. See, and if we're not, we hurt our mission to the world. So what we're seeing here is that conformity to the world lessens your impact, but see, conformity to Christ maximizes your impact. Conformity to the world damages your mission together, but conformity to Christ accomplishes your mission together. That's how together you, as the body of Christ at Mizzou or wherever your school is, is going to accomplish God's mission. Um, I want to tell you about a, a student that, that was involved in Veritas a few years ago. He, was, he graduated in 2016. Um, his name was uh, Logan Mosley. I'm going to put some pictures up here. <laughs> These pictures are kind of funny. These are both from Project Japan, uh, 2014. So yes, that is Dan Moore on the far left. Uh, Logan is the one in the poo costume. We have a July 4th party that's a blast in Japan, and so we all dress up and take pictures. Anyway, that's Dean Frazier in the middle. Some of you may know him. Um, but Logan's a blast. There's Logan uh, with a Japanese girl on his shoulders. And um, I, I had the privilege of getting to know him. He was in a small group I led. And Logan, um, great guy, a lot of fun. Not perfect by any means, you know, messy, just like we all are. Um, he came up, though, and he, he was on the Mizzou swim team. And I think he might still hold a record or two for backstroke. He was, he was a great swimmer. And the thing was, though, he was one of only like three or four Christians guys on the swim team. There just were not many Christian guys on the swim team. And if any of you know Logan at all, one of the things that everyone noticed about him, though, is he, he had a wrap tattoo around his forearm of the fruit of the Spirit. And, I mean, it just kept going all the way around, all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, getting him, all that. So... I mean, he was pretty vocal about being a Christian. Um, so, but one thing that he did was he started a Bible study on the swim team. Even though there was only maybe 
two or three Christians that he knew of on the swim team. He started a Bible study, just invited people to come. And to be honest, it was kind of discouraging for him. Because again, only like those two or three people came uh, to the Bible study. But a couple of guys did come, and especially, uh, I forget if it was his junior or senior year, a couple of guys came that were Christians on the swim team and, and they were struggling. You know, they needed support. And some of you might even know one of those guys is, was Carter Griffin, um, Hannah Griffin's husband. Uh, he does some work with student ministry. And so Carter got in this Bible study, and this meant a lot to, to Carter to, to be in the study. It was a big support for him. And Logan, for sure, like, got flack for being a Christian, flack for being different, flack for not partying like the other guys did, flack for not drinking like the other guys did. Yeah, he would have drinks when he was, you know, when he was 21, but, but he didn't get drunk, tried not to. Um, he lived a different life. He got flack for it. But, but here's the cool thing about his story. Not only did he support those Christians by being different, but he lived in a house with other swimmers. And there was one swimmer, actually, uh, I think he was an international student, and started using drugs and um, got really depressed, like suicidal depressed. And when he did, lo and behold, who's the guy that he turned to? Like when he hit rock bottom? It was Logan. He talked to Logan, and um, Logan made a big difference in his life. Um, so here's a question for you. If someone were to follow you around for a week, would they see enough difference in your life to show evidence that you're a Christian? I know none of us are going to do that perfectly, but, but is there evidence? How is God calling you to be different, to make a difference? I mean, certainly God is calling you to be open about your faith. He's calling you to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible is true. I believe what the Bible teaches about sex is true. He, he's calling you to say that. He's calling you, not in a brash, defensive way, but in a humble, kind, winsome kind of way. He's for sure calling you to live for something bigger and better than, than yourself. He's calling you to live for his kingdom and, and show that in your life. And that means that you won't cheat for, for that grade or, or take Adderall to, to stay up to get that grade because you're living for a different kingdom. You're not living for your grades. You're not living for your resume. You're living for God's kingdom. That means you, you may not get the best grades always, as good as you possibly could, because if you push yourself to that limit, you know it would be a detriment to your soul. You know you couldn't even be involved in a small group, things like that. It means that maybe you're going to give time for, for growing in your faith, time for serving. For sure, God is calling you also to stand up for truth, to say what's true to a friend and love, even though they might get ruffled or defensive at first, but to love them enough to do that. For sure, God is calling you to be different in your use of alcohol and sex. Be distinctive. So we've seen that conformity deforms you. We've seen that conformity damages your mission together. And the last thing we see is that conformity denies your Savior. Denies your Savior. So read John 17, 13 through 19 with me. So let me set this up for a second. This is Jesus uh, right before he was crucified. It's the longest prayer of Jesus that we have recorded. So um, he told, either told the disciples what he prayed or they were close enough to hear him, that sort of thing. So this is a really intimate uh, picture of Jesus' soul right before he was crucified and what was really on his heart and what was really important to him. And so here's what Jesus prayed. He prayed, I'm coming to you, Father, now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them, meaning, 
meaning his disciples. But he's praying not just for them, but he's praying for all of you too. It says that in the prayer. He's praying this for all of you. And he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, Jesus said, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. Sanctify just means set apart, make different, make distinct. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. A couple quick things I want you to notice. Look at verse 13 real quick. Notice what Jesus' goal is. Jesus' goal, he says, is what the full measure of his joy would be in us. So in other words, everything Jesus does in our life, everything he tells us to do, anything about his will is always about our joy. He wants us to be satisfied in him. He wants us to have lasting joy, lasting life. So that's his, his goal, all right? That's the reason he's saying not, don't conform, because it will make you lesser than he wants you to be. Um, but what is Jesus' prayer? If we look at verses 15 and 17, the next slide, um, it will say uh, that his prayer for us is not, he doesn't want us to be taken out of the world, right? Because then we couldn't accomplish his mission. If we're, if we're out of the world, we can't bring his kingdom into the world, right? But he wants us to be protected from that conforming pressure of evil in the world. And because of that, what does Jesus pray? He says, I pray that they would be sanctified. I pray that they'd be set apart. I pray that they'd be different. I pray that they'd be holy. Any of those words are synonyms. In other words, don't take them out of the world, but just make them so different that they can accomplish my mission in the world. And then, verse 19, this one really hit me. Jesus says, I sanctify myself so that they can be sanctified. Now, now what in the world is he saying? What does he mean by that? What Jesus is saying is he's saying, you know what? He's saying, I resisted conformity so that you can resist conformity. He's saying, I was different. I lived a different life. I lived a life that ruffled feathers, that offended, a life that got a lot of rejection, a life that got a lot of disapproval. Why? So that you could be different. He did that so that you could do that. That's what Jesus is saying here. And, and so to be conformed to the world then is to deny our Savior. I don't mean deny in the sense of not having faith. What I mean is you're denying his his impulse for your life, his desires for your life. What I mean is, it's to deny what he lived for, what he died for, what he prayed for. That's what Jesus wants. And so, so this is our hope, okay? This is our hope. This is what's going to change us. If we think about this more and more, and worship Jesus more and more for this. First of all, he lived and died for us, okay? He lived and died for us. Why? So that we could be made a new people with a new identity. In other words, your identity is not what people think about you. It's not the sum of your performance. That's not your identity. You have a new identity, one that can't change. You are a child of God. You are a representative of Christ in the world. That is who you are, and Christ lived and died for that. Secondly, he prayed for you. He intercedes for you. That means that for all the times that you and I haven't been different, that we have conformed to the world, he already took care of that on the cross. And you know what? For the times next week or next month or 20 years from now where I do it again, he's already got grace big enough for me. He's going to pick me back up. He's going to pick you back up. 
wash you off, forgive you, and say, let's go at it again. I'm going to give you strength again to be different. I'm going to give you strength again to fulfill my mission in the world. And very practically, Jesus says, I have given you my word. In other words, I have given you the thing. Not only have I died to make you different, but I have given you the thing that's going to continue to make you different. That's going to continue to strengthen you to be different for the rest of your life. Because here's the thing. We aren't different by getting out of the world. We're different by getting the word in us. We're not different by getting out of the world. We're different by getting the word into us. So a question is just, what's your plan for that? Do you have a plan for getting into the Bible? Are you reading? Do you have a, do you have a time and a place where you set aside just for you and God to, to open your Bible, to learn, to read? Um, that's huge, really important. We're going to be different. We've got to be getting that into us. But notice, Jesus isn't just praying for you singularly. Jesus is praying for you all together, right? So we need a body of Christ together to do this, to be different. And so that's why it's so important to develop strong Christian friendships. You, know, you need support. Here's the reality. is Like I said, we're always conforming one way or the other, and the people we're around the most, that's who we're going to be conforming to. So I am not saying, don't hear me say, don't have non-Christian friends. We should. We need to make a difference. But I am saying your strongest, your closest friends need to be some Christians who are supporting you and who are helping you be different, who are helping you live for Christ. So how are you developing that? I mean, do you have some accountability? Do you have some people that, that love you enough to ask you some tough questions, help you follow Christ, help you do things that are good for you? Are you in a small group? Do you, are you developing those kind of friendships through a small group and getting in the Word that way? Do you have those, those sorts of things going on? So as the worship team uh, comes back up, let them go ahead and come up. Um, here's the deal. As much as we face pressure, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world sometimes face a lot more intense pressure than we do, right? You may have heard stories. And I came across this one, and this was really inspiring to me. So what this is, is there's this mission agency in, in South Asia called Asian Access, okay? And, and they have come up with a list of seven questions. And what these are is that when people become Christians in this nation, which is mostly Hindu, they can't even give out the, the name of the nation to protect the, the Christians there because um, they're so persecuted. But when they, when they want to get baptized, when they want to acknowledge, yeah, man, I want to be a Christian, they've developed their church planters, the, the pastors have developed seven questions that they ask them just to help them be prepared for what's coming for them because they're going to have huge pressure to conform and fit in, and, and a lot of stuff is coming their way. So these are the seven questions. And for me, this was just a good, like, gut check of, am I willing to be different? Am I willing to even suffer for being different? So I want to just ask these questions to you, just like they would ask them to a new believer in South Asia. Number one, are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Number two, are you willing to lose your job? Number three, are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you and forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Number four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Number five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Number six, are you willing to go to prison? Number seven, are you willing to die for Jesus?
I know that sounds really big compared to some of the small stuff we've talked about tonight, but that's the heart of it. Is are we willing to follow Christ? Are we willing to be different when Christ calls us to be different? Are we going to have the strength to stand up and do that? Here's what I want to close with is just don't give in to fear. Don't give in to conformity, but let Christ transform you. See, he lived his life and he died the death on the cross for you. He even prayed for you and keeps praying for you that you could be different, that you could be used for his purposes in the world. Give your life to Christ. Let him transform you. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the call to be different because we know the weakness of our own hearts. We know our frailties. We know our fear of being rejected. We know our fear of disapproval, of the glances we get from people when we are different, the fear of the mocking of the professor, the, the fear of maybe just a, maybe a, a good friend who's not a Christian yet, but just thinking about how they're going to react to knowing we are following Christ and making decisions that to them are going to seem crazy. Lord, we just confess to you that we, we need you. We need you to help us. We don't have the strength unless you come and strengthen us, unless you remind us of what you've done for us, unless you remind us of the new identity we have in you, unless you strengthen us with your word, we can't do it. But the hope is, and, and the promise is, with you we can. Because yes, indeed, Jesus did die for this. Jesus did pray for this. And we know that whatever Jesus purposes will be accomplished. So that's our hope. So Jesus, we give ourselves to you. Give us strength to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.